Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. host Stella and this is Backroll the Oracle the Barbara Gordon podcast episode 119 the last of us discussion special for June MMXVI Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by Imperious Rex confessions of a serial surface invader do your friends tell you that you'd be perfect for cosplaying Mr. Spock all the time are you strangely attracted to women of other species and relationships that can't possibly work is your room a shrine to Sue Storm Is the top of your skull inexplicably flat? Do you have tiny wings on your ankles that, defying all logic, somehow allow you to fly? Do you hear strange, disembodied voices talking to you about your destiny? Do you feel driven to make repetitive, pointless war on the surface world? Do you spend hours in the bath? Can you breathe underwater? Then you may identify with the subject of our new podcast, Imperious Rex, Confessions of a Serial Surface Invader. Longer than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. This is the Prince of the Deep. Join us each week as we review the next installment from Prince Namor, the true Submariner's adventures in Tales to Astonish, starting with the quest in issue 70 and moving forward through the Silver Age of Marvel Comics. Check out our blog at SerialSurfaceInvaders.tumblr.com for a new show every two weeks or so and a steady stream of ridiculous aquatic content. And please, if any five or more of the above conditions apply to you, Seek professional help. 
Batgirl the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Backroll the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Help us keep the lights on. Support TBU so that all the podcasts that you love can keep running. By clicking on the support TBU tab on the right of the Batman universe and donating. Thank you in advance. On June 14th, 2013, an amazing game hit stores, a PlayStation 3, PlayStation exclusive, developed by Naughty Dog. And this was called The Last of Us. How is it that you're never scared? Who says that I'm not? What are you scared of? Do I need to remind you what is out there? Once upon a time, I had somebody that I cared about. And in this world, that sort of is good for one thing. Getting you killed. I need something smuggled out of the city. Jesus Christ. Just cargo, Joel. How do you know them? I just want some simple gear, enough to set me on my way. I reckon he's got something to do with that girl. He's got everything to do with that little girl. Can't be any worse than in here. Can it? Damn it! People, Joel, it's been that way for a long time. No, we are survivors. This is our chance. It is over, Tess. What are you so afraid of? You're treading on some mighty thin ice here. What do we do? You make every shot count. You see, I believe everything happens for a reason. We don't have to do this. You know that, right? After all we've been through, everything that I've done, it can't be for nothing. Now, we're going to be talking The Last of Us, and you may be wondering to yourself, it is three years later, almost to the day, actually. It could be to the day when this uh, drops. But, you know, what's the point? And I think this is one of those games where you could probably talk about it whenever, and it's almost timeless. I think that it's so wonderful that it exceeds any sort of time limit that we can put on it. It was recently remastered for the PS4, so there's a reason there. And recently, there's some rumors, uh, it's pretty sure or certain, that there's going to be a sequel to this. So I think that maybe now is, in fact, the time to have this discussion. But I'm not going to be by myself, so I'm with three, maybe diehard, I I could call you diehard fans, of The Last of Us, as well as other games from Naughty Dog, like the Uncharted series. So first up, we have Gerard, who's actually never been on Backworld of Oracle, so a warm welcome to you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Although I've never been on the show, but strangely, I believe I'm the first person you thanked on your first episode. Oh, I have no, <laughs> I, 
don't know why that was odd. But. Probably for your support. And were you a part of that that April Fool's episode for Donovan? Were you one of his oh, female I, I girlfriends? Was, I was in, I was on standby. I suppose I was okay. supposed to be. I was supposed to be, but uh, things didn't quite work out okay. time wise. You just heard from this next guy <laughs> last month. It's Ed back again. Hello, everybody. And finally, now we have one of Donovan's ex-girlfriends, and you heard him on a Game of Thrones discussion that I had at the tail end of an episode. We have Jason back to the show. The North remembers. (laughs) Always, always. So to first start off, have you played other post-apocalyptic games? So I'm actually a huge Fallout fan. Uh, You know, I had Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, and I beat Fallout 4 recently. So it it was interesting for me... the contrast in the games because fallout's a pretty dark series but and even fallout 4 uh, got some criticism for being noticeably darker than it than its predecessors but it's always kind of had this this bit of strain of black comedy mm-hmm. to it that kind of lightens the tone a bit and the last of us does not i mean it's just a bleak game mm-hmm. it's, it's phenomenal but it's 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 very different than fallout ed how about you uh, I did the Resident Evil stuff way back in the day, but I'm talking like PlayStation 2 days, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, ever since then, no. I, I was more just uh, Naughty Dog games, sports games, and more like general action adventure, but nothing too super apocalyptic that came to mind. I tried Fallout 3, the Vegas one. No, there's Fallout 3, and then there's Fallout New. Okay, I tried the, the Vegas one, and uh, I'm an idiot, and I didn't realize that I could switch between first and third person, apparently. <laughs> so. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, that's one. Sorry, I'm. It's okay. Hey, hey, I'm, I'm here for your entertainment. Um, <laughs> so I realized I didn't realize you could switch, and I, I can't stand first-person games. So I sold it, and then I told someone it wasn't for me because it was first-person. They said, "Well, you could switch," and I said, well, "I'm not. I'm not buying it again." So <laughs> that was my fault experience. But yeah, some Resident Evil back in the day, um, but nothing too recent besides The Last of Us. I think I'm in the same boat as Ed. There, I go back even further, maybe to the Sega Genesis and PS1 days with the old. Nice post-apocalypse ones, but nothing recent other than The Last of Us. And as for me, this is actually the first post-apocalyptic game that I had ever played. I sort of shied away from Resident Evil and things like that. I remember seeing, I think, one of the movies or two of them. Uh, But otherwise... I've seen the Resident Evil movies. I'm very sorry you had to sit through those. (laughs) Well, I think it was on TV, so it's my own choice. But, you know, they've just not really been, I guess, the genre that I would tend towards. But really, the thing that sold me on it was the fact that Naughty Dog was the developer. And as I I discussed with, with Ed in the past... Really, if Naughty Dog slaps its name on it, I'm probably going to buy it because I've been loyal to them since the Crash Bandicoot series. You know, I played Jack and Daxter and Charted, of course. So when this was coming out, even though there's this was a genre that I don't normally play, I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to give it a shot. So that's my my post-apocalyptic game. How does this game experience compare to the others that you have played? Now, Jason, you had said that it's pretty bleak throughout. What about the the Resident Evil games? And things like that. I I honestly haven't really played much Resident Evil, so I can't really make a comparison. I saw some friends play Resident Evil 5, and my big memory of that was was the humongous controversy because it was set in Africa. That's literally the only thing I remember about Resident (laughs) Evil 5. I think that The Last of Us is... I think the difference between the old Resident Evil games I played back in the day really was that it, it seems like in the older games, the plot 
was almost secondary to being an action piece, if that makes any, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. the game is there to be an action piece, and there's zombies, and yes, there's an evil corporation, there's something going on, you know, bah, 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 bah. Uh, But I think that the plot was really secondary to just going from level to level, or, you know. uh, So I felt like this one felt more cinematic, a lot more cinematic than the Resident Evil games, which I played when I was a lot younger, and as I got older, I was just like, eh, it's not for me anymore. So yeah, this one felt more, and I think that may be a product of, the way the video game industry changes as a whole. I don't know if it's just for post-apocalyptic games, but that's that's kind of my take on it. I, I think you're right. I mean, like, uh, especially with the RPGs, but then also with, like, the Uncharted series, I, I think we're seeing storytelling becoming a lot more important in video games, and I like that. Absolutely. Yeah, what, one thing I'll say about The Last of Us in comparison to some of the other post-apocalyptic games I've played is that I feel like the universe in The Last of Us, the little that we get of it, seeing as though this is the only game so far, feels a lot more fully realized than something like Resident Evil, where a, a lot of the times they tend to skimp on the details of how the post-apocalypse came to be, because that's not really the interesting thing according to them, and I feel cheated oftentimes by that. But this time, not only did they explain it, but it, it, it's explained in a way that feels organic, as if to say it could happen tomorrow in our world realistically, which I feel like feeds into the, the narrative and the, the tone of the game. Absolutely. Again, I can't really compare it to any other game experience, but I would like to compare it, and this is my next question, to comics or other movies with sort of a zombie theme or a post-apocalyptic theme. I feel like this is a different take on post-apocalyptic themes. Uh, I've read Why the Last Man, which I can kind of consider that post-apocalyptic, um, as well as some Watching sort Dead. of is. Kind yeah. of. I mean, some bad thing happens and then, you know, the world has changed. Uh, I watched The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. And, you know, it, it has the same theme of, you know, there's an infection, people can get bit, and they, then there's an infection that, you know, carries on and everything. But for me, I felt like there was such an emotional tie. And, you know, instead of focusing on a larger cast, you're really just focusing on our two main characters, Ellie and Joel. And I think because you focus and slim down and, and pull your focus in these two, that it's it pulls you in much more than, I think, perhaps TV shows or movies or maybe comics and, and other games can do. You know, it's I'd funny. that The Resident Evil ga- movies, which our compatriot here got a stab in it J- rightly so by the way are kind of like a guilty pleasure for me i know that they're terrible <laughs> terrible right they're awful and don't tell anyone this except the thousands of people that hear me say this but like i i, I privately love, love them i know they're awful i know they're awful right but i, I do like them um but compared to like other comics like i read the walking dead comics up to you know, issue 100 or whatever it was and the walking dead show and it all just kind of it seemed to me like, you know, especially the show sometimes just lost my interest after a while, and I don't know why. But this game doesn't. This world seems, although we get a much smaller piece, a much smaller piece, and we get only this little slice of, of what's going on, this seems more like a world that I could be, that I want to know a lot more about. Think about in Walking Dead, the comic book or TV show, we're given kind of a small piece of that too, right? Like it's this area in Georgia or this area in Alexandria or whatever, right? We don't really see the full, you know, what's going on in the rest of the world. I really don't care. In The Walking Dead, I never really cared about it. But for some reason, I care more about the world, The Last of Us. Like, I want to know, like, what happened in London? What happened in Tokyo? You know what I'm saying? Like, Right, yeah. I'm, I, seem more interested, I'm, I seem a lot more interested in the larger world than I ever did in The Walking Dead, which is weird because I didn't read 100 issues of The Last of Us. Yeah, you know, that's just kind of how I feel about it. 
I think there's an undercurrent. It's odd for a game as bleak as The Last of Us to have this, but I think that there's an undercurrent of hope that I feel might be kind of unique to to Last of Us. It's not a it's not a sense that they could say like fix it tomorrow or anything like that, but a sense that people are are moving along and making things better for themselves that I feel is absent a lot of the time. Not all the time, but often in post-apocalyptic fiction, which tends to be a little too bleak for my taste, at least. I think that's a fair criticism. I, I actually tend to really love post-apocalyptic science fiction, but no, I, I, I think I definitely agree with that. At least as far as The Walking Dead is concerned. I mean, it get it's... I can't really think of anything hopeful from last season, or uh, I don't know where the comics are at this <laughs> no. point. I... I I, I last one I re- I don't know I read like volume twelve of the hardcovers and I haven't read anything since so absolutely a lot of stuff happened so, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure someone got bitten by a zombie yeah. uh, <laughs> a bunch of people died a bunch of people you thought were good turned out to eat people you know that old risk <laughs> you know that, that kind of thing any other thoughts about general oh sorry. not Carl <laughs> about this genre and just the overall how it fits into this genre. Okay, then we're going to talk about the story. The following is a plot overview of The Last of Us, taken from Wikipedia. In September 2013, an outbreak of a mutant cordyceps fungus ravages the United States, transforming its human hosts into cannibalistic monsters known as infected. In the suburbs of Austin, Joel flees the chaos with his brother Tommy and daughter Sarah. As they flee, Sarah is shot by a soldier and she dies in Joel's arms. In the 20 years that follow, most of civilization is destroyed by the infection. Survivors live in heavily policed quarantine zones, independent settlements, and nomadic groups. Joel works as a smuggler with his partner Tess in the Boston quarantine zone. They hunt down Robert, a black market dealer, to recover his stolen weapons cache. Before Tess kills him, Robert reveals that he traded the goods to the Fireflies, a rebel group opposing the quarantine zone authorities. The leader of the Fireflies, Marlene, promises to double their stolen cash in return for smuggling a teenage girl, Ellie, to Fireflies hiding in the Boston Capitol building, outside of the quarantine. Joel, Tess, and Ellie sneak out in the night, but after an encounter with the patrol, they discover Ellie is infected. Full infection normally occurs in under two days, but Ellie claims she was infected three weeks ago and that her immunity may lead to a cure. The trio make their way to their destination through hordes of infected, but find that the Fireflies there have been killed. Tess reveals that she has been bitten by an infected. Believing in Ellie's importance, Tess sacrifices herself against pursuing soldiers so Joel and Ellie can escape. Joel decides to find Tommy, a former firefly, in the hope that he can locate the remaining fireflies. With the help of Bill, a smuggler who owes Joel a favor, they acquire a working vehicle. Driving into Pittsburgh, they are ambushed by bandits and their car is wrecked. They ally with two brothers, Henry and Sam. After they escape the city, Sam is bitten by an infected but hides it from the group. As his infection takes hold, Sam attacks Ellie, but Henry shoots him and then commits suicide. In the fall, Joel and Ellie finally find Tommy in Jackson, Wyoming, where he has assembled a fortified settlement near a hydroelectric dam with his wife, Maria. Joel contemplates leaving Ellie with Tommy, but after she confronts him about Sarah, he decides to stay with her. Tommy directs them to a Firefly's enclave at the University of Eastern Colorado. There, they find the university abandoned, but learn that the Fireflies have moved to a hospital in Salt Lake City. As they leave, they are attacked by bandits, and Joel is severely wounded. During the winter, Ellie and Joel shelter in the mountains. Joel is on the brink of death and relies on Ellie to care for him. Hunting for food, Ellie encounters David and James, scavengers willing to trade medicine for food. David reveals that the university bandits Ellie and Joel killed were part of his group. 
Ellie manages to lead David's group away from Joel, but is eventually captured. David intends to recruit her into his cannibal group. She escapes after killing James, but David corners her in a burning restaurant. Meanwhile, Joel recovers from his wounds and sets out to find Ellie. He reaches Ellie as she kills David. Joel consoles her before they flee. In the spring, Joel and Ellie arrive in Salt Lake City and are captured by a Firefly patrol. In the hospital, Marlene tells Joel that Ellie is being prepared for surgery in hope of producing a vaccine for the infection. The Fireflies must remove the infected portion of Ellie's brain, which will kill her. Joel battles his way to the operating room and carries the unconscious Ellie to the parking garage. There, he confronts and kills Marlene to prevent the Fireflies from pursuing them. On the drive out of the city, Joel tells Ellie that the Fireflies had found many other people who are immune, but lies that they were unable to create a cure and have stopped trying. The pair arrive on the outskirts of Tommy's settlement. Ellie reveals that she was not alone when she was infected and expresses her survivor guilt. At her request, Joel swears his story is true. But as I see the story, I sort of see it as three acts broken down as it involves the characters. You sort of have Joel and Tess, which set up the status quo of what this world is like in introduction. And then you have Joel and Ellie, their whole journey, and then Joel and the Fireflies, I think, at the end of the journey. That's just what I what I see. You could certainly have, you know, the prologue with Joel and his daughter and things like that. But what are your thoughts on the overall organization of the story and the overall plot, you know, from start to finish? Do you think that, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the story and how it draws you in, but, you know, what was so compelling about this plot that you decided to take a chance on this game? And if you did so, that you replayed it? Well, I think starting it off slowly barring the the sort of jolt in the that happens at the end of the prologue mm-hmm. is, oh yeah start, starting starting it slowly gives you the the time to sink in and let you understand what's going on around you and it it gets you a sort of investment in being able to see through the eyes of a character oftentimes it's not effective when they try to set the world up a little too quickly Right. And it's odd. I, I mean, the first act isn't particularly long, as you describe it, maybe an hour or two. Mm-hmm. But that's enough time to get you invested in the characters. And then, more importantly, the desire to see them succeed in their in their missions and things like that. So once you get that, I mean, the when rest of the game just lays out in front of you. You want to see where it goes. And it creates enough of a background. Like, it's like, okay, here's the government. They're kind of quasi-fascist at this point. There's the fire fireflies and then there's a couple different types of walkers sorry not walk, whatever, whatever clickers sorry yeah there, it's, a, it's a zombie game that's not a zombie game i guess yeah. it, it kind of reminded me of 28 days later in that oh, regard, yeah. which is well, a zombie movie that's not a zombie movie air quotes mm-hmm. don't say the z word yeah. they're they're infected jason yeah well yeah well, <laughs> well, well think... in, in 20 days later they're not actually dead so that's why i say air quotes zombie movie that's not a zombie movie I think still, still one of the things she did was the fact that this does feel like a real three-act structure. Like, it feels like a real narrative. It doesn't feel like a forced narrative or a linking narrative that we get in video games a lot. It feels real. And I, and I think you guys hit on a point there. You get into the game as far as your investment quickly. I don't know what the timestamp is in the game, but you know how, like, every action-adventure game has, like, the first two levels, which are essentially this is how you use the controls, right? right? Like, this is how you dock, this is how you run, this is how you step. Like, that's in every game. And normally, when I'm doing that part of the game, like, come on, come on, I know how to press up. You know, like, by the end of the training in this one, I, I already felt like I was kind of invested. And by the time you get to that first collapsed office building, I was in. And that's what, maybe 25, 30 minutes in gameplay into the game, maybe? So it really 
hooked me a lot quicker, and I think that was because it was following a, like a three act. It was a classic setup, setup payoff. I actually thought yeah. I wouldn't be able to remember all the controls because there's so many different things to do. But as I got into it, I didn't have a problem with it actually. That's what I said. Yeah, the controls are, are they don't get in the way. They're not overly complicated. You know, they're not like okay, o o x o up. Right. You know, like what I was gonna say is to compare it to something like Resident Evil, like we mentioned before. That's the a classic example of writing to a video game, like action movie style, where you're gonna just here's a set piece, here's a set piece, here's a set piece, and the the writing is basically just to link you from one to the other without much thought for characters and things. What's happening in between? Whereas this is is written the reverse way, where you have the story first, and then you're writing the set pieces around that. Yeah, I often thought that that this game felt when you just hit something on the head there, like they wrote a story, and then t- this doesn't this feel more like an adaptation of a of a book, like than a video game that was wrote to be a video game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could I could have very much seen, and I'd be curious to ask the people at Naughty Dog. I could have saw them writing this as a script first, and then turning it into a video. You know what I'm saying? Like. Let's get the story beats, and then let's turn it into an action game. I, 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 I could totally like, believe that. I feel like that is something that Naughty Dog does, but I, I don't know, because I just saw a rumor online that, you know, Last of Us 2 is set to go, and I just feel like they've got probably the script ready, and now they just have to put it into, you know, into coding. And I remember, I think it was for Uncharted 2, there was a commercial that played an awful lot, and it was a guy and his girlfriend on the couch and the girlfriend has like the game pause, but in her she believes it's a movie. Do you remember this? This ad yeah, that played, and so yes. like the only reason, not. so the the boyfriend just led her on to believe that Uncharted Two was this cinematic experience. It was it was a movie. <laughs> it wasn't a game, and so this is almost as I imagine it is. I mean, I think that's across the board for any Naughty Dog. Really, I guess the Uncharted and on is that it very it, it very much is cinematic, and I I think it's it's a movie experience. And you know, tying these things together are. Well, is I think Joel, and I think unlike any other game I played, I've seen this character change the most. I think, with the exception of Uncharted Four, because Nathan really made a change. But Joel, I'm about I, to say Uncharted Four. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I want to to keep that, but no, but Joel, I think has he's very dynamic throughout, which I think we'll talk about when we get to his character. But I think that's another reason why the story is really well developed and keeps you hooked and and gives you replay value. How well do you think the game balanced this horror and suspense aspect with the adventure aspect that Naughty Dog is well known for? I thought it was really well done, certainly from, well, first, starting from, from the you know survival horror aspect, is most of the time I don't find survival horror games scary, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, I'm actually, like, a big horror fan, but... Mm-hmm. This game like legitimately disturbed me on some places. Like when I'm no, when I'm crawling yeah. around like the first time you encounter the, I think it's the clickers. Yeah. I was like, what the hell is this thing? It was like the first time it like runs up and just like tears your neck out. I was like, oh my god. So it it it, it there's a it's very there's very much a like a sense of I don't know if paranoia is the right word, but like you don't feel safe even as you're playing, even though you know it's just a game. It it mm-hmm. it, uh, it kind of roots into a primal fear. I thought. And then as for the uh, adventure aspect, I, I mean I. So, so I confess I'm I'm new to Uncharted, which is an amazing series. But mm-hmm. uh, I had an Xbox 360 last go around. So while I've always been a fan of Naughty Dog, I basically I played Crash Bandicoot at a friend's house, <laughs> and then yeah. nothing up until I got my PS4. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I definitely think there there were some elements that reminded me of Uncharted. But I, I do think they did a really good job of of balancing you know the story, the survival parts, and then the more action parts where you're, you're like shooting. Yeah. And even the parts where it's kind of like. 
when they when they uh, switch it up, like uh, there's the I think it's you're in Philadelphia, I think, with the sniper rifle. Mm, that, right. Yeah. Okay. Or well, is the suburbs? What? Is it still in Pennsylvania? I can't. They were with Henry and Sam. Pittsburgh. You're talking Pitt- about. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. It's okay. Or then, like when when they when switch it up with uh, what I thought was the best part of the game was, was playing it as, as Ellie is her name, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though that I thought was the best part of the whole game. Balance is an interesting question. I guess the best way I could put it is I never really thought about the balance, which is good because I never – you know how in some game modes there is like multiple modes and you get to like the swimming or vehicle driving. You're like, I got to do this again. I hate doing this. Right? Like <laughs> yes. There's – mine like in Tomb Raider was always swimming. I'm like, I got to swim again. Christ, I'm just tired of swimming. You know, like – but in this one I didn't really notice the difference. You know what I'm saying? Like it was mm-hmm. like, oh, I was I was equally pleased with both both modes. So I never felt like – one was being overused because there wasn't like one mode I love and one mode I, mode I just kind of kill myself instead of playing, you know. So I, I think that's the best thing I say with the balance is I didn't even think about the balance of the two because it seemed to go s- together so organically. And you're talking about like being genuinely freaked out. This is hey, welcome to showing my age again with Stella, who makes me do this every single time. Um, <laughs> I haven't been this genuinely freaked out playing a video game since Silent Hill 1 on PS1 wow. way back in the day. Oh, wow. I'm like, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, drop the mic, yeah, like, you know, ID check. Um, But yeah, like, when I played the original Silent Hill 1, that was the last time I was like, um, I'm not feeling like, that was a, that was the first time I ever caught myself, and I found myself during, during this game, where I would normally play, like, these horror survival games, like, in the dark, like, that's cool, you know, I'm edgy. But then I, like, I found myself turning on the light to play Silent Hill, and the same with Last of Us, I was like, you know, the dark isn't necessary. I'm a grown man. I can turn the light on if I want to. That doesn't touch my masculinity, you know? Um, so, yeah, since the first Silent Hill was the first time I felt this freaked out playing the game. <laughs> You're talking about a PlayStation 1 game making you seem old. I'm thinking I must be really old in comparison. <laughs> but um, I, uh, I guess in the one thing that helps the fear or the... the ability for this game to generate scares is the fact that it's paced slowly at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because a lot of the time, um, this is a problem with movies, this is a problem with comics, this is a problem with every medium. It's, it's Sometimes they push the pedal to action a little too fast, and it desensitizes you too quickly. So that when you get to the areas that are supposed to be suspenseful or supposed to make you scared, it doesn't quite work because you, you've been... At a, a high adrenaline level the entire time. Like, in this game, for example, the first time you encounter the clickers, it's almost eased into it where, you know, they turn around a corner and, oh, oh my god, what is that? <laughs> and, you, and you have a moment to just sort of relax and to think and to think about what's about to happen, rather than just being forced into, okay, this is the next action beat. And then after that, it just slows down again. So it's a matter of hitting beats, slowing down, hitting beats, slowing down, which yeah. is good structure for this kind of thing and for generating responses. Yeah, and I will also say that what I like about this particular game, and I don't know, again, from my lack of experience, how it, it compares to other sort of zombie games, but I like that there are four different types of the infected. You have the runners, which they just go crazy. The stalkers, which I think are even more insane and run after you. The clickers, which are, I mean, if you're quiet, like terrifying. you can get around. <laughs> yes, they are terrifying, especially since if they touch you, they'll rip your face off, unless you have the shiv upgrade. And then the bloaters, of course, which throw those spores at you. So I do like how they're, they are different, and it does ease you in, like it doesn't drop a bloater on you right at the beginning, uh, but it sort of gets you prepared to, to do that. And I think that was great, that that's sort of like the, the fighting and horror aspect you have these four different b 
beings that you have to fight against or infected. And then the adventure aspect, I actually like times when you're not fighting anyone and it just gives you time to explore certain things like the university level, you know, up until you start fighting the fire. Well, Giraffes. Yeah, you can do like different things like that and just get to know your characters and have conversations and things like that and search for stuff. I think that's always fun. I will say since Ed was talking about, you know, going back and forth with modes that get on your nerves, the one mode that, oh, I guess it's not really a mode, but you know what I'm talking about, is when you have to protect somebody. And luckily that doesn't really happen here. Sometimes your your players will get into, your non-playable characters get into trouble and you have to help them. But I hate when you're asked to protect someone and then they go and do something stupid and you have to die because they died. Uh, that but is once... always the worst missions in first-person shooters. <laughs> I, uh, so if you've got to protect terrible. this person who has no AI, have fun. Yeah. So <laughs> FYI, Stella is basically saying that if you get into trouble in real life, you are on your own. <laughs> I'm yeah, just okay. saying. Totally you know, fair. There are moments when <laughs> it, there is that one level where you're with – and this was the most – sometimes games really make my heart like – if there are like a lot of enemies coming at me and so the one instance is when sam and ellie are trying to get the door open i can't remember where they are but they're in some sort of building and so henry and joel have to fight off this like horde of things coming at you and i died so many times (laughs) but at the end he's like we did it and it annoys me to no end because really i was the one to kill the majority of the things going after me but. The real the real eye opener for me in that regard was early on in the game when you're with Tess, and oh, what was it? It was the first time I believe you jumped by like maybe four or five guys with guns as you're heading towards uh, looking for I can't remember the guy's name Robert. But the, Robert, yes, exactly. They're looking for Robert. And I remember I, I hid behind cover, and I'm trying to remember what the controls are, because this is always how it goes with me. I have a poor memory. And by the time I was like, okay, I think I got this, uh, Tess had already shot all of the guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is going to be different. That's an example like, of, yeah, the, I guess, a helpful NPC helping you out. What are the strengths and weaknesses uh, of this particular story or if you want to not go with weaknesses what are your favorite and least favorite story points throughout the entire game besides the gameplay my my favorite story part was just playing as ellie i mean i mean it made sense game game wise but i wasn't expecting it Mm -hmm. and i like even though you know you're on the run from these not zombies the whole time like to me that was the scariest thing when you're facing these I'm sorry, cannibal, you know, spoilers, cannibals led by some type of pedophile, and then the storm comes in, and you're, like, sneaking around, and all you have is, like, this one knife, and you're shanking people and, and trying to escape, and that was just, like, that was the most nerve-wracking part of the game for me. Nerve-wracking is the best way to describe it, just genuinely... Mo- for yeah, no, I, I was, like, genuinely, like, I've... I got I got chills, like, at certain points, like, oh, man, what if they see me? <laughs> I was gonna say, that's the antsiest I think I've ever been playing a video game. Because it sets oh, up perfectly, it sets up perfectly the sense of helplessness that you have. In that you've been playing with Joel for so long, you probably have a decent amount of upgrades and some good yes. weapons. Right. And stuff. Yeah. And they just kick you right back down to having a basic Nothing. knife, a, a yeah. bow and arrow, and what like a rifle and a handgun. That's it. I don't remember even having a rifle. I think she, eventually all she, she had bow was and the, arrow. Yeah. yeah, she had bow and arrow, and then later she gets the knife and. I think she only has the knife when she's sneaking around in the snowstorm. Well, David g- yeah. gives her the rifle, but I don't know if she to fight that the during the attack. But I don't know if she right. still well, yeah, has okay. it. But but in the boss fight with with the uh, oh yeah, she has nothing. The pedophile in the in the in the 
diner or something. Yeah, yeah. Like all she had <laughs> was a knife, unless I remember that incorrectly. No, you're no, right you're... about that. Yeah. No, because you're like crawling around the ground, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're basically defenseless. You know. <laughs> yeah. Tr- trying not to step on plates in the in the <laughs> least clean restaurant in the history of the world. <laughs> you know. You yeah. know. I. I. The only. Really, the only complaint I have with Naughty Dog, and this is consistently, is I often find their their bosses to be kind of frustrating. Yeah, they are kind of like old school running circle bosses sometimes. It's totally legit. <laughs> yeah. You know? a- a- Atok Navarro at the end of the first Uncharted. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh, yeah, no, that. And, you know, and, and even the, the final boss in Uncharted 4, probably one of their better ones, he, he still, it was still really frustrating at <laughs> points. Yeah, block left. Block right. <laughs> um, the, block the, left. Oh, wait, we meant actually right because he, he faked. Oh, crap. Yeah. yeah. The, well, to, though to be fair, I mean, um, you're fighting normal human enemies most of the time, and I, I almost feel like in video games, this is kind of off topic, but I feel like in video games nowadays, if you're going up against human enemies, I feel almost like the the boss fight is just an antiquated sort of mechanic that it doesn't even really belong in current games yeah, because some I, I, I so multiplayer, I don't totally agree. Yeah. Fights anymore. Yeah. Oh. Now, if you want to talk about least favorite part of the game as far as a plot point. The one that I every time I see it, I get like angry. I'm like, that's stupid. Why they do that? They're mean, you know. When Elle's the toy to oh. before he we get to find out he's bitten. Yeah, that yeah. was like I don't want to say it's the worst, but you talk about like a genuine like because you're kind of on a high. Remember that's with the big mission you're running through all the house, right? And yeah. they, the guys are coming. You know, you give them the big mission. It's kind of like a hoorah moment, and, and she's giving the toy like, oh, she's a good kid. And you see the kids infect, and you're like, son of a, you're like. <laughs> That was probably the worst moment for me. And again, it's not poor presentation by any means. You know, like it's pulling you in, but that was like, man, you're making it too dark now. You know, like like I said, bleak. <laughs> yeah, oh, just like Fallout would have thrown a joke in there about like the, a giant communist hating robot, which is in the game for the record, uh, and it's awesome. It's fair, but, but, but that's but that's what I mean. You know, Last of there, Us has has no giant communist hating robots which to is, lighten the mood. Yeah, there is there is no like light. I mean, you feel. When you when you set off after the cutscenes and all that, and you're to the next part of the game, you genuinely feel like, all right, I guess we got to keep going because I don't want to sit here and die. You know, like I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's like genuine, but I mean, that's I guess that's one of the reasons you like the game so much, right? Because it yeah, makes I, you actually care. Mm-hmm. It, I it pl- always play a game twice if I like it, usually so I can get like, well, they're called trophies now. I still I'm still used to calling it achievements for <laughs> the Xbox, but. Mm. No, so if I, if I'll usually I'll play a game, and if I really like it, then I'll go back and play it again on on, on hard mode or or the hardest mode, and try and mop up, oh, you know, gosh. get some more trophies. But after I played this, I'm like, I can't replay this right now. So I, I still haven't. Re- I I mean to replay it on New Game Plus at some point, but I couldn't bring myself to do it right away because it was just so gut punching. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's 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 depressing. I I, I couldn't even bring myself to play the DLC. I'm like, I'm gonna. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Fallout Four. You know, yeah. I will say I think what is also really hard about that particular scene is that there's like no time to mourn them because you know they go on yeah. their journey to Tommy's Dam, and if you find the optional conversation where at right before Tommy's Dam, a Joel finds some like small graves, and then Ellie comes over and she said, "Oh, I forgot to 
put this, you know, the Transformer, basically, the, by his grave. And Joel just, he is done with mourning anyone. He just wants to move on. And that's really hard because it, it's almost like a brick wall with him. Uh, but Ellie is really the one who wants to take the moment to, like, remember that they were people and that they mattered at some point. So it, it's hard because you're, you're torn in two directions. But there's just no time, you know, that terrible scene happened and then you just have to move on with the game. So it, it is startling. But I, th- I think that's realistic in, to an extent. I mean, I don't want to get into details because, you know, online. But, but I, there, there was a point, like, there was a year where just, like, a bunch of stuff hit my family. And by the end of it, it was just, like, I couldn't even feel anything. Like, it was just, like, five tragedies happened, like, within two months. And I'm, like, I, I can't even feel anything. So I feel like that's a realistic, like, if you, if you get too much, mm-hmm. your, the body shuts down and, and it numbs as a, as a form of self-defense. So I thought the way Joel was reacting was, yeah, kind of dickish, but I also thought it was completely natural. Right. Yeah, in a world where all you get is one serving a crap after another. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Like, he's been doing this for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, there is no good day. I mean, think about what's the addition of a good day. I didn't starve to death. I didn't have to kill anybody. And I didn't get killed. Sweet. I mean, that's not a good day. I think it just wears you. I would wear you down after a while. And it's it's realistic to see. You're all hoping for him to be a little nicer, but you you totally get it. Yeah. I I think it's important to mention that the way the game is structured is deliberately to emphasize that because I think right after Sam is and and uh, oh my goodness, I forgot his older brother's name. The one who shoots himself in the head Henry. Right after. Henry. You know yeah. that wasn't depressing enough already with his brother dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right after Sam and Henry are gone, it, it the game jumps jump cuts ahead a little bit of time mm-hmm. to the next to the next uh, <laughs> season, season. Yeah. or whatever. I don't yeah. know why I forgot the word there. Um, the same thing happened with Tess earlier. There's a little bit of like an action beat afterwards, but again, you're you're skipping amounts of time mm-hmm. just to deliberately emphasize that it's it's this amount of extra time before Joel even addresses these things, right. let alone. You don't witness that time, but you still feel it narratively. Mm-hmm. As for me, I also like the the Ellie chapter, if only because, and it's hard to say like, right? Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I enjoyed it. Like, I felt like it was a good plot moment. It was great to play someone that was different. But it, it was, I think, probably the most difficult chapter to play, uh, not only because of its suspenseful nature, but... Just the stuff that you had to do, I think, was pretty intense. Uh, the Pittsburgh, I have a problems with the Pittsburgh. Well, I just feel like it goes on forever, where you're, you know, going against the survivors and everything. I almost wish like it were split up and there was another city, but you know, Pittsburgh is as it is. George, well, you if you've up- never been to Pittsburgh, that's what Pittsburgh's <laughs> like. It, go it just goes on forever and it's terrible. Yeah, yeah so it's kind of. <laughs> fairly realistic i don't know if it was to give you a break against you know the infected and have you fight against you know have that balance of you know infected versus people and show that both of these are your enemies i don't know but i just felt like it always went on forever um can i mention one one other where you have the paranoid guy who you team up with i can't remember the one who gives you the car oh bill oh bill oh no i guess that would be before pittsburgh wouldn't it yeah that's That's the school and everything yeah I was going to mention one other section. Um, it's right towards the end. It's the last part where you fight Infected, which is in that long tunnel. I, d- I really dislike that part just because that's the one part of the game that felt really video gamey to me. Where it was just a, basically a boss rush where you okay, just throw all the Infected that you fought in the game into this one tunnel. Oh, because yeah. this is the last time you'll see them. There was some sort of... Um... 
what are those called? It's uh, a glitch. There's some sort of glitch. The first time I played, I'm like hearing the noise. I know that I'm coming upon them. Nothing attacked me. I was like, woo, this is crazy. And I just like ran through it. <laughs> then the second time I was super excited. I'm like, maybe there's a glitch again. And then they all rushed me. So it's very sad. <laughs> um, Gerard, you actually brought up a good point that I forgot about when we were talking about sort of how the plot is laid out. But they do do the four seasons. Start off with summer, fall, winter, spring. There we go. Uh, what are your thoughts about this? It did involve time skips. Was that jarring at all for you as you were playing? Um, and then just how did you think about that sort of organization? I, I think the time skips helped because of the amount of distance they had to travel. Mm-hmm. If you had yes. to actually do that all in real time, it would have been interminable. Right. If you thought the if you thought the Pittsburgh section was long, <laughs> wait until the wait Let's wait until the long Denver. <laughs> Yeah, wait until the long trek through the Midwest where nothing happens yeah. section of the game. Just like real life. But <laughs> <laughs> No, I agree. I, I think that helped. And as, as, as certainly at least the the winter level I felt was, I guess, thematically appropriate in that, you know, it's bleak. It's, you know, there's nothing to eat. Oh, yeah, by the way, Joel's dying and you've got a bunch of cannibals trying to kill you. So I, I don't know. That just somehow it worked. I guess because being in winter, it just felt like that much more dangerous. I think it also, the the skips gave a sense that those would have been the breathers in their actual journey where they didn't run into a whole bunch of infected or a bunch of malicious jerks trying to shoot their heads off. Where it was more like, okay, this is just the part where we traveled through the forest for a couple of weeks and didn't really have anything notable happen. So, Yeah, it's it's kind of like one of my, a friend of mine who's... It's either former army or for, former marine. It might have been a couple different ones, but he said basically like war is essentially a lot of waiting and nothing, and then all of a sudden something happens really, really quickly, and you react, and then it quiets down again. Well, I, I think too it helped build the relationship with Joel and Ellie too, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've been together for a year. Like That's- Joel being such a hard sob in a lot of ways, <laughs> like it would be unrealistic if these two were together for five weeks, right? You, you know, like it just. A whole year is a lot of time, and, and someone Ellie's age. I mean, I go from thirty-nine to forty. Who cares, right? You go from eleven to twelve, twelve to thirteen. That's a big change in your life. Mm-hmm. You're not the same person at thirteen. The are twelve or eleven. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. when a year when you're younger is a is a much bigger time for for growth. And I think that by having Ellie and Joel together for a full year, you get to see a much more complete story. You know of of them being together, and plus, like you said, nobody wants to see someone drive to Colorado. So, I mean, there's there's, there's good and bad there, unless you play Uncharted Four, and you can drive a Jeep up a hill. But there that's... you go, and it's glorious. It, it is. is. Just be sure to use your wench, um, <laughs> or winch. Winch. Yeah. I said wench. Um, yes, yeah, that's, that's, that's that's a different that's a different one. It is. Yeah. No, that, that that's Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Uh, have any of you played the DLC Left Behind? Yes, and yes. well, if, if if they played the, I think the PlayStation Four version, there's a there's a Game of the Year version that came with it. Oh, yeah. okay, that's nice. I yeah, didn't realize I it was the, the DLC, version, but yeah. I did not play the like that. I couldn't bring myself to play the DLC. I'm like, uh, no. Well, <laughs> I'll get I to it at some point. I feel like it's not as bleak. So just to give some backstory without spoiling it for you. It happens during this winter level. It's at the same time. So you see her looking. Basically, it's right after Joel falls off the horse, and she's there to protect him. We see how she patches him up, and then 
they, she finds herself in a mall and she's trying to get medical supp- supplies and then some of the some of David's gang come after her. So there's that. And then meanwhile, like in between these different chapters, it shows the the backstory between her and her best friend Riley that she sometimes talks about and builds up to when she and Riley were bit and what they were doing. And actually like that's a more uplifting thing because you see that friendship and relationship and it's more fun like they're doing stuff in in a mall and things like that. But I think it adds more depth to who Ellie is apart from Joel and how she came to be and and then how much I think Ellie cares for Joel that she's trying to do all this stuff in order to save him. So I do recommend it, but if you need some emotional time before you you do it, I completely understand. Because, of course, it is gut-wrenching once you get to the end of the DLC. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... But I mean, it's especially jarring in this case because you're goofing around playing with masks one minute and then... (laughs) Well, spoiler alert, it doesn't end well. Well, we already did that. (laughs) By the way, if any of you read the comics... I'm shocked, I tell you. (laughs) If if any of you have read the comics, I believe flashbacks of Left Behind or a sort of loose adaptation of the comics. Of American But I can't confirm that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, uh, what was it called? American Dreams or American Dreams, something like that. Yes. Yeah. Dark Horse did it, like, right when this game was coming out. Yeah, it gives more depth to the Riley, and I think it's really how they first met Riley and Ellie. Dark Horse does, like, all the video game comics. Like, they also do Dragon Age and Mass Effect and stuff like that. They totally do. I think there's an Uncharted comic book, too. There is, yep. And they did a Tomb Raider comic book, too, I believe? I'm not sure. I thought that was Top Cow. Yeah. The top that? Yep. You're right. Well, last question on story before I get into characters. When you were progressing, you're getting near the end. Where did you see the story going as you reached the end? Uh, I'll start off just because um, I think I've told a couple people this before. But as I was in the tunnel with the buses, the, the flooded tunnel... And Joel was talking about, you know, I'm going to teach you guitar. Like, I'll, I'll do all this stuff with you. And then Ellie at one point said, I know something you can teach me. You can teach me how to swim. When all this stuff was going down and I knew, like, this game was starting to end, I I was really nervous in my heart because I thought they were going to kill Joel off. Because I feel like when you start planning for the future and she, I felt like, had become somewhat reliant on him, uh, the relationship mm-hmm. had changed. He had started you know, to open his heart to her a little bit more. I just felt like, oh my gosh, are you going to kill off Joel? And I almost did not want to finish, but it, it turned out okay in the end. Uh, but did you have any fears like this as you were going? Did you feel like, oh, I know what's going to happen? Or or did you just Yes, it actually, I, similar to you, except I thought they were going to kill off Ellie because okay. as they're going there and they're about to meet the Fireflies, I'm like, I'm going to bet the only way they can they can get the cure is, is, is if she dies. And it turned out to be the case. I'm like, yep, saw that one coming. <laughs> it, 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 well, it, well I mean... They, I've played enough games and read enough books for that kind of thing happens. Right. But I, I honestly thought they were going to kill Ellie. And I'm like, okay, either she dies or he's about to go on a rampage here. And, of course, he went on the rampage and saved her, so yay. But, <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I was pretty nervous getting up to that point. They, they did have the we have two weeks until retirement conversation. Yes, exactly. Right. That's, that's, that's you know, not good. Someone, yeah. Someone's dying here. I just kind of assumed everyone was going to die to fit with the general theme of the game. You never I mean, talk about retirement ever. Yeah, I mean, as I played, I'm like, well, you know, every character I've been introduced from Henry to Sam to Riley, they're all dead. So I'm pretty sure they're going to kill everybody. 
brother is still alive, right? I Joel's, think, I think yes. Joel's brother is still alive. My brother and Joel and and his brother's wife, whose name I can't remember. Uh, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Joel. Her name's brother. Maria. Uh, but no, I thought, enough. They, everyone, I thought everyone would die because we know what comics and and video games do. If you if you kill someone off and you want to make a successful sequel, you just unkill them. You know, so <laughs> I mean, it's true. You yeah, know, but if so, they're following George R. R. Martin's playbook, that's not what's going to happen. Okay. You know? But if they're following George R. R. Martin's playbook, I got to wait to 2050 to see the sequel. You know, <laughs> oh, man. I might be dead by then. I lived a hard life. Um, no, I, I thought everyone would die. I really did. I felt like it was going to be bleak, and I, I kind of thought that they would. What they would do is completely wrong. Of course, was that we would see Ellie and Joel sacrifice themselves somehow for the greater good. Mm-hmm. And the fireflies would heal the world, and we'd see like a touching tribute memorial in the future of Ellie, the girl that saved the world. But that's not what happened. Well, as we got closer to the end, the, the, the one thing I kept thinking was, I, I can't think of an example in post-apocalyptic fiction that I had experienced at that point that actually ends with the with clearing up the infection or saving the world or anything like that. And I thought, this isn't going to be the one that bucks the trend. So... I, I knew them reaching the end of their journey wouldn't be successful. The thing I didn't know was how, whether they would show up and all of the fireflies would be dead, I thought was was a possibility, or maybe just one of them doesn't quite reach the finish line, and so it, it, they never even reach the place, or something along those lines. I just knew it wasn't going to be cleared up at the end. There, were, there wouldn't be a quote-unquote happy ending, despite Naughty Dog almost specializing in those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we're going to move on to characters, and I think we're going to focus on the first two the most, and then we can see where we go from there. But let's talk about Joel and Ellie. Uh, what do you think about them individually, and then also the evolution of their relationship? And as you talk about the relationship, I wonder if there's a particular moment that you saw their relationship really change. And I at least want to say that Joel was voiced by Troy Baker, who you may know as playing the Joker in the Arkham Knight video game, right? That was the prequel? Yes. Okay. It's weird to think that this is the guy who voices the boss in the Saints Row game. Oh, gosh. Actually, you have it backwards. It was Arkham Origins. Arkham Origins. Arkham Origins. Yeah. Okay, okay. And, then, and I believe he also voices uh, Nate's brother, right? Sam, yes, yeah. that he does. And Ellie is voiced by Ashley Johnson, who's been – she played Tara in Teen Titans. She played Gwen on uh, Ben 10, but the, the later Ben 10s. Uh, so she is no – she's not shy to voice over, basically. So what do you think about these two characters, their relationship, and then is there a particular moment that stands out in your mind that you felt like the relationship changed? It's a big question. Yeah, well, stuff. well, for starters um, – I, th- I think Troy Baker did a really good job because he sounded absolutely nothing like the boss from Saints Row, <laughs> which is how I always hear him in my head. And even even, even his Sam was different enough, but it's still like you could still kind of hear the boss. But I'm a big Saints Row fan. It's it's you know the first chapter is a real gut punch. Like mm-hmm. I think someone had spoiled that Joel's daughter dies, but I just completely forgotten it. So I still was like, oh man, when she died. And you know they should, and then they skip forward twenty years later, and he's just this broken man. And it, it's kind of weird because it's like it seems like he's you know starting to care more for Ellie, and then he doesn't, and then he does, and then he doesn't, and kind of keeps going kind of back and forth. Like it seems like they're becoming really close, and then he decides, yeah, I'm just going to leave you with my brother. Right. And uh, and and for me, I feel like the the real change, or at least at least in his heart, 
is when as when she runs off to the uh, is it the farmhouse I think but and he and his brother and yeah. Joel and his brother go after her mm. and yep. and she's and she's like I I don't want to go with your brother I want to stay with you and I I think that's kind of like to me that's the aha moment where where it, where, it, where it, or like his view start really changes mm-hmm. yes I was I'm, I'm completely in agreeing with you and I'm, either, I, he, no. either either he either he realizes how important he is to her. Or he realizes how important she is to him, or both. I don't know which one in particular, but well, I, th- I think it's important that bef- right before that moment, he sort of gets called out on the fact that uh, he's deliberately distancing Ellie away from himself because of what happened with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that there's a there's a sort of residual recognition between the two characters, and that their relationship is very similar. And once he realizes that he has to let go of what happened with his daughter and accept the, the role that he's in now, that's that was the turning point of the character, which is in that exact scene that you described. But basically, that's a fancy way of saying, yes, I agree, Jason. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting. The, the I wasn't spoiled by anything. I played this game really, really early after its initial inception when it came out the first time on 3. And when she, when she dies, the daughter dies at the beginning... I remember grabbing the box and being like, "Isn't that the daughter on the cover? What are we doing backwards? What are we, you know, like what's what's going on here? You know, like I mean, all I had to do was wait, but you know, I'm like, I don't. This is misleading advertising. I'm not sure about these guys. You know, like you know, so I was, I didn't, and then it became, oh, okay, oh, he's older, oh, new, oh, all right, you know. So then I started working my way through it. I, I like the way it played out because I think it's a trope that we've seen in a lot of video games, comic books, movies. Insert here where. The, the the hero a hero one of the of it is instantly like I'm going to protect this child no matter what like I'm the good guy you know and we don't really get that here like basically him and the female at the beginning they're doing it just because it's it's a paying gig mm-hmm. I mean that's how this whole thing starts so I really like that that it wasn't such an easy run but I, and it's also I think essential that Joel is actually a good guy like he may have lived a terrible life but he's a good per you know he's still a good person yeah. and she kind of brings those 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 fatherly feelings. Up, back up to the top. So, I think that as much as this is a journey through the world of zombies, it's more of, about the journey of Joel mm-hmm. and, well, and, and I, I, like Centinelli. You know, and I think well, as you're saying about him being a good guy, you're right. But I, I find it interesting because, like, especially uh, when he, in 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 the, in the start of Pittsburgh, when he realizes it's an ambush, mm-hmm. and she later asks him how he knew. He's like, I've been in those before, and she's like, Which side? And he goes, Both. So yeah. he's he's obviously had to do some some things he's less than proud of to survive, which I I think everyone had to in that kind of world. Mm-hmm. But but but, it, but uh, I th- I think it's the fact that you, you what you said right there is is it's perfect that he's not proud of. Yeah, in this so, game, uh, we have a lot of characters. The boisterous, well, I've killed a million people. I'm gonna kill and rape your dog. Like oh, you know, like all these terrible terrible cannibal pedophile people that seem relatively proud of their actions, right? And I think that's where Joel's the counterpoint. Like, yes, you're yeah. right. And in this type of world, right. you'd have to do crappy stuff. But at least you, at least he well, actually David feels bad. Little girls, yuck, yuck, yuck. You know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's... I mean, at least he feels bad. And he knows that there's like, you can see Joel doing what he needed to survive by. I mean, i.e., it's him or the other guy. Him killing the other guy. Sure, no problem. Right. Mm-hmm. But you don't see. He, he's not a sadist. You wouldn't see Joel going on his way to rape, torture, kill. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. does what he has to, to survive. So in. And this kind of when you play this real world angle of this kind of post apocalyptic thing, this is what a good guy looks like. Does that make does it make any sense? Like, there's well, no Captain America. This is the good as this is as good as the good guy comes. Well, know? to give a, to give a counter example, when they introduce David later in the game, 
I, I felt like he was almost he was a deliberate dark mirror to what Joel is. They kind of even look similar, where they play the reverse role, where he's Joel if Joel was more... <laughs> imagine the karma spectrum. Imagine he's more to the red side than the blue side. Fair you know what fair. I mean? Where yes. he's the guy who who does take pleasure in, in, in killing, and of course, uh, <clears throat> the meal afterwards. We'll, <laughs> we'll spare the details. <laughs> and and when, he, when they pair him with Ellie where he's trying to lead her through and you eventually learn that he has much darker intentions for all of this. Yeah, but before you realize that... <laughs> right. You're, he had you're me fooled at first, because the first time I met him, I'm like, I don't like this guy. But then I'm like, okay, no, this this is another good person. Then it's like, oh, no, he's not. No, he's yes, not. Yes, yeah. that, that's a deliberate narrative choice that they made in order to, to, show, to show you why having somebody like Joel in her life is important to Ellie. Because it would be, it would have been so easy if, you know, instead of getting hired, instead of hiring Tess and Joel, they could have hired somebody like David and one of his cronies, and it could have gone south really fast. Mm-hmm. So it's important to establish that, despite all the somewhat reprehensible things Joel may do, he is still like like Ed said, the the this is as good as this world can offer. And I also think, I also think it's kind of a, a casting gag that, of course, David was voiced by Nolan North, who right. was Nathan. That was, was he? Yeah. I, I did not know that. It's hard yeah, to that, tell. Normally, I can pick out Nolan's voice rather easily, but it is hard with David. He does David. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. Like, yeah. I can usually well, yeah, like I said, it was hard to catch Troy Baker, and I can usually catch him. I can catch Mark Mir. A lot of the people who do like. The Bioware games I can usually catch because they do a lot of different stuff. But yeah, I had no idea that was Nolan North. Which is funny because like before I, I beat Last of Us, I had just finished beating the Nathan Drake collection. <laughs> so I should have caught that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's okay, I'll pat you on the head and forgive you. There you go. It's interesting, <laughs> though. Teaching. Oh, boy. It's interesting we're talking about, you know, it's as good as Joel can get. But, you know, there, there's some part of his sort of 20-year gap that I feel like he may have been doing some pretty shady stuff because his brother left him. And his brother will reference things like, I'm trying to think of the conversations he had. I but basically, it was like. His brother joined the Fireflies. Well, he, yeah, but he has problems with, with some of the stuff that Joel did and told Joel, I never want to see you again. So there, there may, like, Joel may have had a pretty dark patch. I don't know if that was really recent after Sarah died or not, but I feel like. You know, we may be seeing a better Joel than there was in that twenty-year gap, but that's just my well, musings. I think you've seen a Joel that's that's had a chance to heal, right? I mean, the death of a child can be something that, in a normal world that we live in now, people have trouble coming back from, mm-hmm. right? But when you and think about the, when you always hear when someone loses someone like that, the only thing that gets them through is the love of their family, or, uh, a spiritual connect. You know, what I'm saying like something that gets them through it. Imagine trying to get over that kind of just absolute horror in a world full of nothing to help you out. You know, like, you're just on your own. And, yes, this is the worst day of your life because your kids died and you got to get over it and fight to survive the next day. Like, the healing process, if you ever really healed from it, might take the 20 years it took Joel. Well, yeah, and, you know, at, at, the, um, at the start, you know, the mom's not around. And, and they don't really specify one way or the other, but I, I, I guess – just because of how divorce court tends to work, I, I I was under the impression that 
um, Joel's wife or you know whoever was the mother of his daughter was was already dead by that point. I was under the impression that 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 she was like a, a meth addict, but whatever. A I meth addict? I thought maybe she left. <laughs> okay, that that was a left a left swerve. I was not expecting. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. We I, all read yeah. things differently. <laughs> I imagine that they had because I remember he he tells um, Ellie that he had her pretty young, so I sort of imagine like a high school romance of some sort, and then okay, that would make sense. sense. Yeah, I, I assumed I, it, I assumed it was a situation where they went into it too young and it just never worked out between them. Yeah, so. and meth. That's okay, it. who knows? Uh, as for my <laughs> take on Joel, as I then she turned into a meth addict and she died. Oh, oh my goodness! Maybe she was patient zero. It, it all started with it. Meth. As for <laughs> as for my thoughts on Joel, like I said, I believe that you know for Naughty Dog, this is the most dynamic character main character that I've seen with the exception I think of Uncharted 4 um, just because you do have this caring father turns into sort of this ruthless guy who's ready to survive and then you know he has his heart of ice and is able to, to it, have it melted and, and changes so just many colors of Joel and I think Ellie is, is the reason for that and, and we talk about the hope that is in this game even in its bleak circumstances and I think Ellie is very much representative of that because I mean you know you wait around for 30 seconds in random parts of the game and she pulls out a joke book full of puns you know what other <laughs> character can do that and, and um, you know she pushes she pushes him a lot she, to remember the dead for what they were and, and uh, or who they were and, and that they mattered and to question, you know, his belief system and everything. And at the end with what he does, uh, I think it shows how much he changed. Uh, for Do me, the moment that I saw their relationship change was actually the moment that, and it's before the, the Tommy's damn thing where he sort of, you know, leaves her behind. But the fact that he trusts her with, you know, a gun and a rifle in Pittsburgh, and the rifle especially to protect him when he's off, you know, going against the, the survivors, I thought was a pretty big moment there because, you know, the entire time he's saying, no, you're just a kid and doesn't trust her, and basically, you know, he's going to look out for himself, um, and I thought that was uh, a pretty big moment. I good call on that one. I didn't even yeah. thought about that. I forgot about that. Yeah. Do, do we ever, do we know how old Joel is? I mean... He looks like he's in his like thirties in at the start, and that's twenty yeah. years later. So I th- I feel like he's got to be what mid fifties, pushing sixty. Yeah, or by yeah, the, or by late forties, mid fifties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to be if, if it's let's say he's twenty eight when thirty eight four. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be fifty sixties minimum almost. And just I the mean, way like, that he moves too, like the feel of him, you know, like going from this to Uncharted was miles different. Yeah, no, and I just mean, like you're. Oh, I was just Go gonna ahead, say sorry. your your idea of sprinting with Joel is very different than sprinting with Nathan because it's <laughs> like you know it's as much as I think an, an older gentleman can do, and you have the weapon shake and everything, which I think may come with age as well. So I think it is it, he ooh, is an older I man. I hadn't thought of that. That's good. And he is seriously old man strong. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. And, like, and, and Gerard and I were talking. I think it was last week uh, where it's like based on the '80s flashback. And like when when they mentioned like it's been fifteen years since he saw Sam, you you can we you can more or less figure that like in the first Uncharted, Nathan's probably like late twenties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. So and he's probably mid to late thirties by Uncharted four, and then you know at the end he's probably like yeah around fifty. Yeah. What about Tess? 
do you see Tess, and she's a minor character, another tragic thing happens to her, unfortunately. Do you feel like she could potentially be one of the reasons or one of the methods that gets Joel out of his funk? I always felt like they had some sort of relationship that may not have been like too lovey-dovey, but I think, you know, more than just business partners. There's a couple of allusions to it, right? Right, right, Right in her last scene where she says, if there were ever something here yeah i think is the words that she uses mm-hmm. and it's implied a couple of times that maybe they had they had tried something and it didn't quite work mm-hmm. but they were professional enough to just say okay well, well you know that didn't work out <laughs> i i yeah, I, f- I felt like i was under the impression that they they'd probably slept together at least once based on the way they talked mm-hmm. maybe i'm looking into it but that that's how it seemed to me it, it seemed like a friends with benefit situation to me too yes you know it like did you're probably not going to settle down with your girlfriend for a happy life ever after in this world. And uh, so it seems like you have friends with uh, extracurricular nocturnal activities thrown <laughs> in type <Okay>. deal. <laughs> but I got to say, um, I love Tess as a character because to me, she she embodies the sort of a person that would ha- be able to survive in a world like this where she doesn't, she doesn't take any... BS. <laughs> I had to censor myself there really fast. She doesn't. She doesn't take any Bravo Sierra from anybody because she can handle her own stuff. We see that with Joel in the beginning, where mm-hmm. where he's like, "Where where have you been?" You know, she got a couple of bruises and stuff. She's like, "I took care of it. Come on." Where it's like, okay, you know, in, in a different circumstance, I could have imagined her being the protagonist of this game, and I would have mm-hmm. actually like that. Talk about sequel ideas. There's, there's yeah, one there we'll talk about a little later. Chloe, in the way that she's like more of a tough girl. Oh, yeah. Chloe from Uncharted, you mean? Yeah. Not, I mean, not, Kinda, yeah. not tough, but it's Chloe's a bit rougher. More of a, mm. I guess, more of a bad girl, if that makes any sense. Yeah, she's not a sweetheart at the core, right? Like Elena is. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that comparison. Sure. But we also get the sense that Tess is also a, a down and dirty busted a few heads sort of character much like Joel is implied to have been. Exactly. Where you get the idea that, yeah, she probably has uh, broken a few necks in her day. But again, that's about as good as you're going to get. In this it gets as good as you're going to get, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that she's tough, and I think it's, you know, <laughs> right when she shoots Robert, basically, <laughs> you're like, oh, this chick's not taking any numbers. But I think she also, <laughs> like Joel, may have some sort of code because she pushes him so hard to continue on this, you know, journey mm-hmm. with Ellie. And whether it's because she's a kid and, you know, maybe has some maternal instinct there to protect Ellie, or it's because she was going to get those weapons, she made a deal with Marlene, and so she's ready to follow through with Marlene. I think there's there's something, there's some, some honor there. And I think when she, spoiler, died <laughs> three years later, this was when I, like, tuned in. I'm like, wow, I don't think that this is going to be a happy ending situation or like a a happy game because you know you had just been with her for potentially two hours playing um and and then they they kill her off so this was also a wake-up call for me but i enjoyed tess i was sad to see her go but you know i guess three's a crowd really and it had to be joel and ellie yeah Yeah. uh we have marlene marlene and the fireflies uh what what'd you think about marlene beginning and end she didn't she wasn't a big role but she was impactful to say the least is is marlene the one who gives them ellie in the first place yes and she's injured and then you see her again at the end uh her character bothered me a little bit um for a couple of reasons one i thought her appearance at the end was felt a little uh 
How can I say this? It felt a little like a plot shortcut. How, how, how did she get, get to Oregon? Yeah, that's what they did. Yeah, that was one thing that bugged me. How did she get there first? If she could, why didn't she just take Ellie with her? Yeah. Well, I guess the I think it was in one of the uh, audio logs where it implies that she healed a lot faster than expected. So they so she started her journey cross country probably a month or two earlier than she thought she would. And I'm gonna guess that considering that that she was traveling with a bunch of goons who were armed to the teeth, she probably got through a hell of a lot faster than Joel and Ellie did, mm. simply because they encountered a lot less resistance that they couldn't just wipe out with a few bullets. And Joel was laid up for a couple of months at one point, so right, yeah. I guess if she's moving that entire time and she avoided Pittsburgh like all reasonable people do, you know, <laughs> um, oh, then yeah, she may have got there a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're gonna take the path through Cleveland. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, you fear to go into those tunnels? The dwarves dug too greedily and too deep. You know what they awake into the darkness. Shadow and flame. <laughs> but uh, overall, as far as her, her motivations and things, this is kind of a weird point to articulate, but I feel like her level of ruthlessness was a little... I mean, it was underplayed so much at the beginning... That when she basically showed up at the end is like, yeah, that girl's got to die, Joel, stop it. It, it felt a, a slightly jarring to me. I don't, it's hard to describe. I, I liked her character overall. I thought she had a good, her, her function in the story was, was really key. But I felt like her, just the way she appeared at the end simply to deal with that stuff felt almost unnecessary. I, I, I almost feel like it would have been stronger to have her simply never be there at the end of the game. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I think she was kind of, it was almost kind of anticlimactic. It's like, oh, she's here on Todd, you know. Um, I do think it helped round, I think the one thing they tried to do in this game was round out with a lot of strong female characters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, that I'm I'm fine with that. It would have been especially anticlimactic if it was just like some dude, you know what I'm saying, um, at the beginning. So I, I know they tried to pepper this with as many female characters they could which which was fine but yeah she was not particularly memorable for me i'll say that i'm really glad that she wasn't a boss fight at the end yeah that would have that would have been cheap yeah true i mean cosine yeah absolutely yep she reminds me of nadine now now that i think of it now that we've played (laughs) uncharted 4 she has sort of nadine qualities oh no 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 i have to I have to disagree you know with you there. Nadine have a very is much similar cooler. character model. Well, I will say Nadine is much cooler, yes. But I think just the militaristic sort of, and, you know, being a black female, I guess, if I'm, I'm to go that way. Just like they're, they have a similar feel about them. There is a char- similar character design, I think. Right, yeah. It is kind of. Yeah, yeah S- Nadine would probably beat the crap out of her. <laughs> I should think she threw Nate out of a five-story window. So I think, yeah, I was I was actually really scared that I was going to have to fight her at the end. I'm like, oh my gosh, how is he going to win? You you just had to sit there and take the your lumps, you know, the past two times. Uh, as for me with Marlene, uh, I totally get like it's sort of a hubba what moment when she pops up again. But I think in terms of the story itself, it makes sense. She's the one who started, you know, them on this journey. And so for her to be there and receive Ellie, I think, was uh, important as well. Um, And you also see she's a very, I think, compared to all the other characters, she has the least emotion, emotional attachment to anyone. And she's really just dedicated. She's dedicated to the mission. Right. And, And I think in a sense that was, 
Joel in the beginning, but now he has an attachment towards Ellie. And you would think that she would also have an attachment because she knew Ellie growing up from Left Behind. Oh. We find out that she she was close with Ellie's mother. Um, I have just this feeling that Riley is Marlene's daughter, but I think I may be wrong on that. But well, it just if, seems if like you, it could. If you get the if you get the journal, there's there's a part in, in the end level where you can find like the journal or one of the recordings and. Mm-hmm. She's really broken up about it. Like she finally gives the order, but she sounds like utterly right. disgusted with herself. Yeah. So there's something there. Yeah. See, but uh, but see that that feels unfair because it, locking away something that important for a character's motivation in an audio journal that you might not find right. feels like they're de-emphasizing how important it is. Mm-hmm. Where if it was if it was a key element of her character, it would have been organically weaved into the story rather than I feel like i feel like that might have just been an oversight like because i want to give naughty dog the benefit of the doubt here but <laughs> no you're right oh yeah Perhaps. yeah well I, i'm imagining you know in, in a sequence where you write and rewrite and rewrite things to in order to get them finely toned or just to get it to a state where you have to push it out the door i feel like her appearing at the end may well have just been a rewrite we, we won't know though to give a face to the Fireflies, potentially, instead of just a regular group. Right. Uh, moving on to actually one of my favorite side characters uh, is Bill. And I'll start off this one. I just think he's so ridiculous. He's kooky. He's so paranoid. He talks to himself. It's implied uh, somewhat heavily. I don't know. It's pretty subtle that he's gay, which I thought was interesting, you know, bringing an LGBT character into, I feel like this is the first one Naughty Dog has done. So kudos for that. But also I love his interaction with Ellie and how much they obviously despise each other. So (laughs) (laughs) because of how, I mean, she, you know, throws things at, well, like words at him and, and they just get in arguments. It's just like two kids basically going, going at each other. But it's, you know, there's history, obviously, with him and Joel uh, and an interest. He's got this, I don't know. It, Bill's Town is an amazing little find just because of the booby traps that are set up. And then when you're fighting with him and everything, I think he's probably my favorite side character that you encounter. Well, he, but, you know, I think that's like a very, I feel like if that kind of apocalypse were to happen, I mean, you know, there are such, you know, I mean, you know, we know everyone's got that, like that one crazy uncle who's like a doomsday prepper and he's got like, you know, 20 shotguns in his basement. And I feel like that's, that's this guy. Like he, he feels like someone that you could meet in real life. And it's like, you know, it's not a paranoia if they actually are out to get you. <laughs> he definitely is, is kooky, but uh, I, I thought he was a really well done character. And yeah, no, I, I think like halfway through when they were like, based on a couple things he said, I figured out, I'm like, okay, I think he's probably gay. And, and then yeah. you, uh. And then uh, if you eventually come – I can't remember if you have to or if it's random, but you come across uh, his, his old partner's corpse and there's like right. the notes like, oh, yep, okay, cool. No, and again, yeah, prop, props to Naughty Dog for doing that. And uh, this is kind of a weird point to make, but without calling attention to it, which I feel like makes it a more yes. powerful element to his, right. to his character. Yeah. For sure. Like not making oh, it seem like it's out of the norm basically. It seemed or- it's not even like it's just – it's not even notable enough to point it out, basically, where it's exactly. like, okay, it's he's a guy who happens to be gay. I like that a lot more than throwing it at you. It's not like North Star from X-Men, you know? <laughs> and, and Joel and Joel doesn't, like, freak out about it. There's no, like, Joel moment, like, oh, my God, Bill, you're gay. Like, just like, no, I mean, exactly. he's gay. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, if they, he's gay, who cares? You know, I mean, yeah. I think it, I it's much not even prefer notable. this. It's close to real life, too, because 
everybody has gay people, and it's not like you're like shocked, like, "What are you kidding me? That's crazy!" Like, it's like, okay, big deal. Thanks. Thank. I don't care. It's cool. I mean, so yeah, I really like the way they did it too. I went to college in New York City. Enough said. There you go. But uh, one thing I loved about Bill is that I, I his his kookiness, as Stella put it, is story justified because you get the sense right. that he he's sort of locked in this town by himself. He has the mm-hmm. the world's worst case of cabin fever, where he, he's just. He, I mean, he talks to himself because there's no one else around anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. And he's just legitimately just gone nuts from having to live inside of his own head by himself all this time. Again, Talk about the idea realistic. of the, We know the that world. that happens to people. Yeah. Like, in solita- like, I think that's why solitary confinement is considered, like, one of the worst things you can ever do to a prisoner. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this, too. If you... Uh, if You talk about the uncle who's a doomsday prepper, right? Yes. If you had been telling people stuff, and for your... Like, the, the end of the world is coming, you need to stock up on ammo and canned food. And everyone's been calling you crazy, and then it happens? Are you kidding me? You would, you'd be like... <laughs> you, yep. you would be so convinced that you were totally right about everything for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, this guy is the is that character come to life, and it, and he's still kind of likable in his own miserable way. So. Yeah, and by the way, um, the the narrative structure. I keep saying "by the way" a lot as a transition, but that's just terrible podcasting. Um, Try, having... try speaking of changing the subject. That one always works for me. <laughs> I, I'm on an hour of sleep here. Just call me a flag. Uh, having Joel reference him multiple times before you meet him is also a key element to his character. Because mm-hmm. you almost build up in your head this, this legend of Bill before you ever meet him. And then when you meet him, he exceeds the legend. <laughs> because yes. yeah. just, Bill. Yeah. He's, he's a colorful character. I love Bill. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, much like uh, much like the test bit I described earlier, where she took out all of the guys in the first shootout that I encountered, mm. I had something, I had something similar with Bill, where there's a section, of course, where you crawl through, like that uh, the the graveyard that's behind the church that he's living right. in. Yep. And there are a bunch of clickers everywhere, and I goofed up. I, I missed a clicker when I was doing it. I was going fine, and then I didn't see one around the corner or something, and you know you'd knock over a bottle or some nonsense and here they come and he, he has this machete that is just the most overpowered weapon in the game <laughs> this guy can just hack clickers like it's nobody's business i'm like this guy can handle his business himself pretty well i don't it's it's a it's a good luxury in a video game where you don't ever have to turn around because you just know that guy's kicking ass behind you mm-hmm. it made the gameplay a hell of a lot more fun for me or like in the in, in the the later part of that game where you've got to get the car pushed and you know it's like you got to push for a while and then the the runners come at you and you got to kill them and then get back to pushing yeah and and he's definitely no pun aside you know no pun intended pulling his weight or pushing it I suppose but you know because he, he's helping you with the car mm-hmm. so yeah no he's he's definitely one of I, I do think that that's AI for companions has definitely gotten better in games over the years oh god mm-hmm. yes um, I mean I've definitely seen that with like. Dragon Age Inquisition or Fallout 4, or even I think one of the best examples has been the Uncharted games, and then like Uncharted 4, especially with the later levels with Elena, who was like soup. Yeah. There were times where I'm like, yeah. someone, someone was about to shoot me, and she just like came up behind me and shot him in the head. I'm like, thanks, babe. You know? <laughs> yeah, it all works out. Yeah, because uh-huh. I remember in the first one, like, Sully just shoots one bullet at a time. 
and it barely <laughs> even hits anyone. And now, yeah, they can take care of themselves practically. It's lovely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One extra bonus for Bill is that he indirectly led to what I thought was the funniest scene in the game, which is the magazine scene in the car. Right? Yes. yes. yes oh, true. man. <laughs> Good point. Yep. That was that was one of the other references because wasn't it like Playgirl or something? I'd, I felt like it was the the female equivalent of those. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I don't know what they called yeah. it, but it definitely yeah, that's, was. Yeah. So <laughs> you should have paid a little closer attention to the cover, Jason. It wasn't quite that way. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> do you have anything to say about Tommy? I have a suspicion that if they do a sequel game, it'll be about him and his wife. Oh, okay. Ooh, that, and that they gave you enough of a glimpse of how they have their entire little world working with all the electricity mm-hmm. and all that. So, but a really well-functioning little society that he has. And they did a lot of world-building with him and his wife, Maria, in that little sequence where you get the idea of the balance of power between them and the fact mm-hmm. that they're sort of like the mayors of this little little place that they built together. But he's gone almost as fast as you meet him. So it felt to me like a bit of a tease for perhaps we'll see him and his wife again later. If I, I kind of I, I hope you're wrong though because if The Last of Us falls suit, the the story will open with everybody but him and his wife dying, you know, <laughs> and then they'll have to like venture into the world heartbroken and down. Well, that could yeah, be bad. Well, yeah, it won't be a sunshine yeah. <laughs> sequel. <laughs> Such a thing. Farming. Exists. We're gonna farm in the new sequel. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the end of uh, Red Dead Redemption, where you're like, oh. I guess John Marston is retired to his farm and will live happily ever at... Oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> I guess I'm the only one that played that game. <laughs> you are for me anyway. I was just letting you go on. I don't know what you're talking about. But for me, I guess I would have said, like, well, I, I, guess, I guess, you know, Max Payne got his revenge. I'm sure he'll find his peace. Oh, no, I guess not. <laughs> oh, no. This is sad. Similar concept. Uh, yeah. For me, Tommy, uh, I just want to know more backstory between him and Joel. I think that's what I would like to know. But he was he, he was uh, so briefly in this game that, for me, there's not much to talk about for him. We talked a lot or already about Henry and Sam. Do you have any other comments on this particular team? Hey, here's a question for you. Was it right that they totally just left Ellie and Joel when, when that ladder broke, and they're like, I'm sorry. And then they ran off. Do you remember that? I don't know mm-hmm. if I'd say it was right, but it was definitely Understandable. the consequences of living in this world. Okay. I mean, I mean, what do, I mean, from what we've seen, Joel is the exception, not the rule, right? Mm-hmm. And that if you help people, you die. Yes. That's it. I mean, I mean think about it, if roles are reversed – and if Joel thought the only way he could have saved Ellie was by leaving them to die, I don't think he hesitates for a second. That's true. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. not that I would want to live in a world like that because would, I would die in this world. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, done. I, I'd, have been, I'd have been gone after Good. the first months. I think in this world this is the only realistic outcome. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, there I go again. It's, it's an argument that I frequently have with people when it's time to view, say, like a movie from the 40s. And you're looking back at it, and you're, and you're viewing it with modern eyes, and you're not comparing it to how times... You're, you're not comparing it to what it would have been in its, in its time. You're looking at it with a different set of morality and such. Where them leaving Joel and Ellie is appropriate for their worldview and it's hard to judge the morality of that because we're not in that situation so i'm looking at it with a different set of eyes and i feel like deliberate moral dissonance 
Yes, that's where I'm going. It, it, was a deliberate, <laughs> it was a deliberate attempt to call attention to the fact that it, it, it's right for them. And I think, doesn't Henry say something similar to, like, you would have done the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's like, and while I don't condone it, I I understand it. And yeah, you're right. It's it's They've been more, in this world for 20 years. It's obviously yeah. a very different situation. More world, more world building in subtle ways. That, that's another good example of that. <laughs> Then the the last character was David. I feel like we've talked a lot about him. Besides having the infected and the fireflies, to a certain extent, are villains, and the survivors, we put a face onto a villain. So, what did you think about him as a villain? I think he was a fantastic villain, which is weird to say because I mean he's obviously reprehensible in pretty much every <laughs> possible way you can yeah. be a reprehensible human being. But I, I mean, I I felt like you know, in a way that kind of made sense. Like I feel like those are the kind of people who would be at the top of the food chain in this type of world. Mm-hmm. It's very satisfying to watch him die. Oh, yes. That yes. was by far the I most mean, satisfying. Okay. When, I find, when she's finally killing, I'm like, yes, yes, you know. <laughs> evil I mean, yeah, but there, there like, was definitely a, a real so showing up. Cathartic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, I felt like he was a, a good uh, way to show a dark mirror to Joel and how with slightly different circumstances, things could have turned out very differently for Ellie. Absolutely. Well, now we've come to our last act of this particular podcast. And to start off, I have two thought-provoking questions for you. So the first one is, we'll take them one at a time. At the end, should Joel have taken Ellie from the hospital, preventing the surgery from happening, which could have potentially found a cure, and also killing Marlene? guess i'll tackle this one first there's a lot of could haves involved in that end scenario which is what makes it murky right. if it was if it was a guarantee say like if, if we well, if we operate on ellie we have the cure period mm-hmm. that's a different question I, I then i think he's wrong in the situation where we're gonna cut ellie we're gonna perform this fatal surgery on ellie for the possibility that perhaps we could solve it that's where you start to put faith in characters like Marlene, who frankly don't deserve to have your faith, mm-hmm. in the sense that they could very well just be overstating what a chance they have. Perhaps they don't have people with the correct expertise that could handle this, or something like that. So while he throws the possibility away, we just don't know how strong of a possibility it was. And while it is a selfish act on his part, I think he, he saved Ellie because of what she meant to him, of course, rather than looking at the broader moral implications of what he was doing. I I feel like I side with him more so than I feel like he did the wrong thing. But only because we just don't know how how far along they would have been, and I suspect they weren't very far along at all. See, this was one of the things that was really, I think, brilliant, is I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know what? I I can't really tell you what was the right choice here. Mm. Because on the one hand, it's like, well, if you, you could literally save the world, and and I mean, obviously, the death of anyone's tragic, but it's like one person versus how many? And because th- people have made decisions like that in war that have been much, much worse, you know, and much higher casualty rates. But it's still like, I guess, what they call the lesser of two evils. But you know, on the other hand, it's like, but you've spent all this time with with Joel and Ellie. You've come to care for Ellie. You know, you've got this connection, and it's like, you're just gonna let them kill this little girl? Yeah. That's that's effed up, man. And it's it's kind of like I feel like. He, he he morally he made the correct decision for maybe for himself mm-hmm. but in the grand scheme of things he didn't if that makes any sense 
It does, yeah. See, my perspective on this is really simple. Of course he made the right decision. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, and he should have get there was another twenty guys that have killed those twenty guys too. If this whole story at its heart is a personal story and this is a father who's lost one daughter and now views someone as his as a new daughter for him, doesn't matter. There's only one choice for the man to make. You know what I'm saying? Like, there isn't another choice. That's why I said for him, yeah, yeah. he made the correct decision. And yeah, there's no doubt for me. Like, like he's not going to lose another daughter. He's already lost one. And if you're a father, you don't care. Like, the world's at stake. Your daughter is your is your world. The world means nothing. And I know that sounds awful, but that's that's that was why I really liked the ending of the game. And from that perspective, was for me, it was the only decision he could. Any other decision would have made every other feeling from the entire game fraudulent for me. And that's just a point of view. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Anything else would have seemed like he didn't... I mean, if you could willingly sacrifice your child, then the, you didn't love her like a daughter because you can't do that. I'm going to hijack the question briefly, Stella, if you will allow me to do so. <laughs> no. No, that's... <laughs> Too late. Uh, how do you guys feel that it was a set decision rather than in a lot of other games, this would have been a player decision oh. where they would have given you one of two different endings if you chose. I think this feels like a play. I don't control the ending. I like I like the fact that the plot was linear and that this was they they did it so well. And they were totally okay with being captive to their plot beats. Does that make I, sense? I feel like that would have kind of ruined the story almost to a sense because yeah, no, it's not Naughty Dog is it's like he's. I mean, it's it, this is not an RPG, so it's like this is their story. This isn't quote your story like you know if you play an rpg it's like you get to design your character and choose your class and make all these choices that's because you know that's the story of your character but this this is the story of joel and ellie and i i i think it was uh i i think it's i think it's for the best that they they left it that way although it would be kind of interesting had they had they done a choose your own ending but i'm I'm glad they didn't yeah i i I think i agree with that That, that's just curious to see what you guys thought there's a PS3 game called Heavy Rain. Mm. It's like I don't know if anyone else has played that. That's like based on great, choices. Great everything. game. Yeah. I've considered um, downloading it for the PS4 from the PSN. I keep hearing it's great. Do it. Do it. It's it great. Is, yeah. And it's is it a hurricane game? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it does rain the entire. Oh, no, that that that's life is strange. Okay. No, no, wait, that's a tornado. I'm sorry. <laughs> And that one's defined by all your choices. It's really the entire game. And I think it would have been a little weird to have, you know, the last moment of the game be a choice, whereas throughout the game you didn't really have any options. Like, it was pushing you in a, in a particular... I mean, you had options as to are you going to sneak around or are you going to full out start killing people, you know, survivors and things like that, but not really any of these choices. And I think, well, and- you know... I, I agree with Jason. I think 100%. As a player, I totally, and, and as, as a person who was emotionally invested in the character, I think that Joel made the right decision because, you know, had Ellie died, I would have been very heartbroken. But I think in terms of if we knew, it, it does come down to ifs and would haves, like Gerard said. If we knew that, you know, she could potentially save or, or reverse this uh, infection, I think clearly he did make the, the wrong mistake. 
um, even if it was unclear whether she could fix it, they could obviously use it, the research, to push it forward. So I think in terms of everyone else, you know, he made a poor decision. But in terms of, you know, this character that you've been following and going with what Ed said and being a father and losing and then finally opening his heart again and having a good relationship, that he made the right decision. But it's, I, I think it's a, it's a very hard question to answer and sort of you're sitting back and wondering what's about to happen. If I can hijack this for a second. No, uh, well, and the, the other thing is that at least, and, you know, I, I haven't played Jack and Daxter, so I can't say, but at least starting with Uncharted, I feel mm-hmm. like not, Naughty Dog games have become very cinematic, and that's not a, that's not a, like a complaint, it's just an observation. Like, like the, Unchart- the Uncharted games, to me, play, play like basically really awesome action movies with a lot of drama and other stuff, mm-hmm. but, and, and it's like, Last of Us is also kind of a drama, but it's, it's very, has a cinematic feel, and I feel like that you know that's what separates it from an rpg where it's like you you wouldn't go into a movie and then you know 10 minutes before the movie ends you know the film stops like okay you can go into the society theater and watch ending a or you can go stay in here and watch ending b right i i I feel like that would like really take you out of the movie (laughs) somebody hasn't seen clue yeah but it's a clue is the movie you're looking for (laughs) (laughs) they did that okay but that's the exception not the rule true (laughs) But and I think you're just counting the fact that Crash Bandicoot is also, you know, very theatrical. So, let's, well, again, I haven't played I haven't played Crash Bandicoot <laughs> in 20 years, not counting the little le- the little retro level in Uncharted 4. Best Easter okay. egg in the history of the world. Yes, by the I way. know. <laughs> is that a fox? Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I showed that to my dad, and even my dad smiled. I'm like, I don't know if you remember Crash Bandicoot because we didn't have PlayStation. My dad goes, I remember Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> Oh, Once you got that PlayStation st- a one startup noise, yeah, I was in a different zone. I was like, "Oh, my heart has been warmed." I I just I just love the banter between Menelena. Why why does a yeah. fox need jeans? Oh my gosh! My other question is as equally weighty, and it's at the very end. Ellie wants to know, you know, is her life worth something, basically? And he had told her a lie once she had woken up from the anesthesia that. The fireflies realized she couldn't help them, and she, at the right before going down to Tommy's dam, confronts him and says, "Is that true? Could I, you know, really not help them at all?" And he stands there for a moment and says, "Yes, it's true." So, do you think it was the right decision for Joel to lie to Ellie, or should he have told her the truth in that moment that he took her away? I think she didn't actually believe him, but maybe I'm wrong. I agree with that. Yeah, there is some doubt on her face. About, I think yeah. it's I think it's right for that moment. Yes. Right? Like, I mean, I think that the story, if he tells her in five years or he tells Tommy in case he dies, like, but in that moment, I don't think there's another option. I'm, uh, I'm a, he probably comes clean later. I agree but, completely yeah. with that. Yeah. I, I, I think being confronted with it in the moment, yes. I think he would explain it to her when she has a better idea of what exactly the situation was, which is And when not- she's old enough to make the decision herself. Yeah. Like say you know, I I lied to you X number of years ago. In reality this was the situation, this is what happened. Then perhaps she would understand a little better. I think maybe she was a little too naive in that moment to to really understand. It's hard to tell. I think he's Perhaps shortchanging her mm-hmm. to think that way, but it's very uh, protective of him. Yeah, you know? I was about to say that 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 is something that uh, a father figure might actually do is well, to think protect. Think of all the lies you tell your kids, or was told you as a kid. I mean, there's all kinds of them. You can go all the way back to Santa Claus. 
Like, yeah, yeah, there's a guy who wears a red suit. Goes, yeah, it's awesome. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, you, 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 you're, you're opening wounds, man. I found yeah. out that in the worst way. <laughs> you know, like, but, like you, you lie to protect them. It's what you do. Like, mm-hmm. you know, well, they had to, the, the other kids at school said that, you know, and you know they wore a god-awful sweater to school. And you're like, oh, you shouldn't wear that. And they come in and said, the other kids made fun of me. They said, oh, no, they, they were just, they were jealous because they don't have one. Just don't wear it again. You know, well, don't wear it. You know, don't, don't. <laughs> It's it's not polite oh, to make gosh. children jealous, so you should probably you know not not make them jealous. Yeah. They're like you lie to your kids. That's what you do. Like you you protect. And, and Joel now is after what he's done. We know there's no going back. Like you've killed these people. You you've possibly washed the possibility of a cure down the drain to protect who you now view as your daughter. Telling a lie mm-hmm. on top of the multiple mur- murders you just committed doesn't doesn't matter. You know. I mean. Right. I think it's his only choice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that he lied to her, if only because I, I just feel like lies are so damaging to relationships. And I, I totally get where you're coming from, you know, to protect her. And I could see that, you know, I can envision the scene playing out in my mind where he tells her that he lied. And then she steals another horse and goes off on her own again. Like, I feel like, you know, that's what he's preventing. Uh, but it's just, I, I'm just sad that that's sort of where it ends is with this lie. And, and totally on her face, written on her face is like this hesitation there and... Oh, but doesn't, but uh, doesn't she fox molder yeah, for a second? The way the fur face looks, like I said, I don't <laughs> think she believes him, but I think it's what she needed to hear. Yeah, she wants to believe She'll it. Just go along, right? right? Yes, she, yeah. she wants to believe. Mm-hmm. Like there is, there is times in all of our lives that someone has fed us a lie or a deception, and we wanted to leave it, so we just went along with it. It could yes. have been your boss. It could have been a wife, a girlfriend, a parent, a brother, a friend. Someone has lied to you in life, and you knew it and said, "I'm going to go with it." We've all done that probably, right? Like, we've all had that moment in our life where you could call someone out. And sometimes even stupid, like, when you were in eighth grade and your friend was like, well, I have a girlfriend, but she lives in Canada, right? And you're like, no, you don't. But you don't say anything. So I think there's a point where we all just will accept a lie. I'm not saying it's preferable. I agree with you still. Lies damage the fabric of a relationship, right? But I think that there's a point in life where something like this that has been so difficult where you just want to be at peace so badly, you'll just accept the lie. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, no argument to that. There are two tough questions that I think those are the first questions I came up with when I was thinking about this discussion. So uh, good thoughts there. So only two more parts left. So the first one is thoughts on what the sequel story could be. And we've already sort of passed some around that you were thinking about. For me personally, I think it could either be a prequel or a sequel. I wouldn't be surprised if they went back in sort of that 20-year gap. And I don't know. They could potentially switch characters altogether. But I like the idea of staying with someone that we know. So if they were a prequel, I'd like to see what Joel was up to in the 20-year gap before he met Ellie. And then if it were a sequel, I wouldn't be surprised if it were Ellie-led. And I don't know if she goes off to find the Fireflies or do something. But uh, focus again, focusing on characters that we know so that we're already, I think, invested. I think it would most likely be an adult Ellie. I, I think a flip would be would be beautiful here. An adult Ellie that for insert better plot device than I can think of here <laughs> for for some reason has to shepherd an older elderly Joel who can't protect himself. Oh my gosh. Right? Like, <laughs> That'd be crazy. Think about it, like now he's elderly, like not in a wheelchair but can't move as well and she's got to yeah. get him across the country for uh, insert something cool here. And we could have like a total role reversal of now Ellie's the one protecting Joel who can't protect himself. Like that would be kind of fun, mm-hmm. right? Like I could get down with that. 
I'm suddenly see because I'm such a horrible person. I'm suddenly thinking oh, of all there's, sorts there's of a level where you have where you have to uh, play as Joel and fight off a grave robber. Who, oh, <laughs> oh dear! See, I'm, see, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of all sorts of. I'm thinking of all sorts of hey, horrible. You said I'm, I'm just going to the logical conclusion. <laughs> clear, I'm, thinking of, I'm, I'm thinking of all sorts of bad. I fall in and I can't get up type scenarios. Oh, now. terrible! <laughs> maybe he. Maybe you can upgrade your hover round. It's one of the upgradables. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> it, is, it is the future with speed uh, and missiles. And, yeah. I'll, um, like I said earlier, I think possibly uh, Joel's brother and his wife could be one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that a lot of people suspected would have been a DLC possibility was in, uh, I can't remember which section of the game it is, but you keep coming across notes written by someone named Ish as you start going through an yeah, underground... In, a, in the underground tunnel thing. Yeah. yeah. But he thought this Ish character was going to be a DLC feature thing, but it turned out to be you know Ellie and her story and such. So... It really should have been that. That sounds I, amazing. I, <laughs> I, I suspect that the amount of people that have been in Naughty Dog's ear over this might influence their decision one way or another. Not necessarily to base the entire game around that character, but at the very least to to see him at some point. Although, isn't it made pretty clear that Ish is dead by the point we get all the notes? Well, that's the magic of video games. It doesn't have to be a sequel sequel. It could be an interquel or a prequel of some kind. Yeah, I I guess. I'm not huge on interquels. I mean... God of War, <laughs> the, the God of War timeline. If you've ever played any of those games, is so Again, confusing. I, I haven't because I didn't have a PS3. I have I have God of War three remastered, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. God Let me put it this War. way. Let me put it this way. God of War three ends the series, and there were two games after that. <laughs> God of well, War. Well, those are like. Isn't one of them a prequel? Both of them are. Well, kind it's, of. It, like I said, <laughs> it, it makes it makes comics chronology seem very linear. You know, yes. I mean, yeah, it's. Here right. be dragons. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the order of the of the flashbacks in Man of Steel. Good luck figuring out which, which order they happen in. Okay, my last point is something that has, well, it's it's ever present when you're playing the game, and that is the score uh, by Gustavo Santolaya. I Who knows if I'm pronouncing that correctly? But a beautiful score that is mainly guitar based. And so, in its minimalism, I think it, it makes it a more haunting melody. I don't. I love the Uncharted soundtracks, uh, and I actually have this as a soundtrack. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, it's kind of hard, I guess, to discuss music, but just I mean, there are moments where it swells. You know, the I think the the theme is is beautiful, and how it starts off silent and it gets pretty powerful, and then it, you know starts decrescendoing again but any thoughts on on the music and and what you thought about it very different i think than the uncharted and you know the nate's theme that that is always ever present with us i'm gonna backtrack to something one of my college professors uses an example once we're talking about the movie apocalypse now and how Mm -hmm. that movie has a sort of weird atonal minimalist soundtrack not shooting what (laughs) um but uh, the, he, he pointed out that try to imagine Apocalypse Now if it had a score written by John Williams, and what a weird oh, dude, that would be that would be bizarre. Yes, while it you would got to copy that because I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would have been it's a great be the Redux version though. It would have been a great score or like to listen to, but it wouldn't have fit the movie in the slightest. And that that was the 
that was the first thing I thought of when I when I heard the music for Last of Us, where I thought this is nothing like the music in Uncharted, but that's a good thing because while the music, while it would have been a, a nice score to listen to on its own, it would have been very inappropriate for the tone. Mm-hmm. And I feel like being a, a game that's set in a in a sort of desolate. Well, the Uncharted music is very Indiana Jonesy, you know, like mm-hmm. everything else. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that fits the pace. Exactly. No, exactly. That's that's fast. That's not a criticism or a complaint. I'm just saying it's right, right. But that, that's 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 the entire point is that to fit a game that's slower and more methodical and has a lot more downtime, you need a score that that swells at appropriate moments, but is otherwise largely downplayed, which is exactly what it got. While it's a weird listen, if you've ever listened to a soundtrack on its own. It is a weird listen. It's sort of it. It doesn't quite. It's not the kind of thing you would put on your MP3 player, really. Mm-hmm. But it fits in the con- in its context. Right. I think the guitar I mean, is kind of re- harkens back to Joel's playing the guitar. You know. Right. That's I think, true. I yeah. think maybe that was why they decided to focus primarily on the guitar. It works. I mean, it's it, it, you know when you have a game that's as good as this and has won as many awards as this and and. You know, you could argue on the all-time list of, of video games, probably. You could make a strong argument for it. I think it's all got to be right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when something is truly especially great, it has to work on every level, and this game does. And I think if you had a jarring, like you said, an Indiana Jones-type sound, I think it would detract from the game, to be honest with you. I'm, I will, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I don't really remember the soundtrack. I, I do know that I definitely thought it fit when I, when it, when I played it. But I can't really think of the theme in my head, so sorry about that. That's okay. It'll be on this podcast, so if you oh, listen sweet. back, then you can. And don't um, forget. <laughs> I'm str- I'm trying to remember they they actually gave a reason why they went that direction with the score, and if I'm not mistaken, it's because they deliberately wanted a score very similar to the one of like I think the movie On the Road, which was also mm-hmm. by Gustavo Santolaya, which is why they. Okay. Heard. I might have the movie wrong, but it was something along those lines. Is On the Road a post-apocalyptic no. movie? No. Okay. You don't, you're confusing it with The Road, which is a post-apocalyptic No, I, 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 I knew you weren't talking about The Road. I was yeah. asking if this was something different. No, 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 no. It was just for some reason they wanted a score similar to that, so they just went out and got the same guy. There you go. Fair Again, I might have the movie wrong, but that's the logic. Okay. Well, that is it for our discussion. It's been a pleasure to reflect on this particular video game and potentially go deeper than anyone has who knows you never know and there's a dc you know there's a dc easter egg kind of uh, well not easter egg but you know the people the per that plays maria is the girl who played the huntress in the birds of prey television show Ooh, yes Wait. ashley scott did not know that yeah so there is a connection so there you go it, it all makes sense it makes perfect sense it absolutely yes ma'am. it does we should <laughs> put that in the episode little thing Oh, well, Gerard and Jason and Ed, thank you so much for taking time out to discuss this, even though it was three years later. Oh, we had to let it happen. sit. had a blast. Yeah. And, and it wasn't really all, again, I, I think I played it in January, so it wasn't yeah. that long ago for me. There well, you go. Yep. And the last two times I tried to talk to a friend of mine about The Last of Us for two hours, they, they hung up on me. So this uh, was... This was yeah. This was much much better for my end. Yes, ma'am. I'm glad glad we can be your support group. (laughs) You need one for this game. Yes, you really do. That is true. That is true. (laughs) Well, thanks again, and until next time, fly on, naughty dog lovers. See what I did there? See? See what I did there?
Mm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I amuse myself, and that's fine. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Love a happy ending, don't you? Mm-hmm.